0: Welcome to the Brattlecast, a first-hand look at secondhand books. This is Jordan Rich, and what a pleasure it is for me to sit down with my friend Ken Gloss, the owner of the Brattle Bookshop in Boston on West Street. You have to visit if you come to town. It's uh, an institution, and we're very, very honored that we can do this podcast and share great stories. And one of the things we do, Ken, is ask for people to request stories or request information about stuff that we can bring up on the podcast. And today, we have just such an example.
1: Well, someone who listens to the podcast actually came into the store Mm -hmm. and he said, how about doing a podcast on finds of a lifetime? Uh, Now, that could take a lifetime because there are so many interesting (laughs) things that come in. But – I figured I could at least do a few. Maybe we could do Fines of a Lifetime, Part One, oh.
0: Part Two, Part Three. We well, could go on for a millennium here, but, but
1: but it's interesting. I know when he was talking about it, and and, and actually a, a woman asked me, uh, same idea one time, that they were talking probably about. What's the highest price things? What's the most valuable things? What and obviously that really enters into right. quote fines of a lifetime. But what I almost consider more important is the story that went with the fine. That's that's what I really remember. Some of the high price things, I remember them. Some of them slip, but the ones that have a really, really good story to go with them, that's that's the ones that I consider. The find of a lifetime. So we have find. some
0: examples for this first part of find of a lifetime and many, many more parts to follow. What do you have for us today? Well,
1: one of the things that I brought in, and I don't bring in a lot of things because my arm only can hold so much. But this this was a very interesting one. I remember when my father when first started out in business, and there was a book called i Do It Again in the Purple Shamrock, which were an autobiography and a biography of James Michael Curley. And when I was old enough to sort of realize, my father said every once in a while, Curley would call up and say, do you have a copy of the... Mm. He'd have a bit of an Irish accent. I don't have that. And my father would just always sort of be happy about, you know, Curley's calling and it made for a good story. And there he was. Well, go up about into the late 70s, early 80s, uh, a man comes in and he goes, well, I have a lot of material that's very interesting about James Michael Curley. And there were people who were collecting interesting. And one of the things that he has is it's on a White House stationery and it says April 11th, 1933. Dear Jim, I want to send you this note to tell you how happy I am that you are to represent the United States in Poland, et cetera, et cetera. Most important post. Signed always sincerely, Franklin Roosevelt. So this is the letter that Franklin Roosevelt mm. sent to James Michael Curley, asking him to be ambassador to Poland. Now I looked at the man and I said, "Where did you get this?" It was Curley's son.
0: Oh and, yes, yes. And so yes. Francis. And, I remember him.
1: And you know, and I am looking at it and. I bought it from him, and he was he was just having tough times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what even is, makes it a better story <coughs> is that uh, Curley um, thought, you know, the most important post. Curley r- got back to uh, Roosevelt and said he thought Roosevelt was trying to get rid of him, which of course he was. Yes, and Curley's response to uh-huh. Roosevelt was. In Poland, this was 1933, with Germany on one side, Russia on the other, you should send your worst Republican enemy to Poland. (laughs) He said, matter of fact, if you think it's so important, why don't you quit and go there yourself? In any case, I bought a number of things from Curley. I bought letters that he wrote to his wife when he was in Danbury prison. I have a, a speech here that I think can be a whole how to spend campaign funds which is oh, that's, interesting in and of itself.
0: That's terrific.
1: But, but these are all things that I've sort of kept. I use them in talks. I use them in lectures. And quite honestly, I think they belong in a library somewhere. So when when, and if I ever retire, uh, I'm, I've never offered them for sale. They'll probably end up at the Boston Public or something like that. I'm just like. flipping
0: over this letter from Franklin Roosevelt. And uh, there is a figure at the bottom of the letter.
1: Yeah, it's a figure I look at. Nobody else has ever seen it. All right. We will not
0: reveal the figure? <laughs> no,
1: no, don't reveal no. it. okay. Because, quite it, it, honest, I fully intend at some point to donate it okay. to an archive. The
0: fact of the matter is this, was be, this is a great find because you've got the history, the story behind the letter. Yeah. Now, so he didn't take the post.
1: He didn't? Oh, no. Of course He not he, he, he was outraged, and and Roosevelt was trying to get rid of
0: him. But Roosevelt's writing this as though he's already accepted it. I love that yeah. about Roosevelt. Oh, thank you so much for being our ambassador. <laughs> yeah, so get out of town. <laughs> by the way, Roosevelt did that, and effectively with uh, with Joe Kennedy, right? He, he, he him sent to, him to England.
1: Exactly. This
0: is fascinating. And this, uh, you know what's most interesting about this? It's 1933. This is obviously typed on White House stationery. Yeah. It's not a form letter in a sense. Somebody actually sat down and typed this. And Roosevelt actually and, sat uh, down and, and signed, signed it. signed it. Wow, that is really cool. So,
1: so that, that's one thing. But uh, a number of years ago, I had someone come in and they had an old document. It was from the 1600s. And I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm saying uh, it was uh, signed at the bottom and it said Maverick. You know, hmm. and, and I'm looking at them. And it's very hard. It, that handwriting was hard. It was a bill of sale for Noddles Island. Now, Noddles Island is East Boston. Oh. And Samuel Maverick, Maverick Square, oh. owned Noddles Island. Okay. And he was selling it to somebody for 20 pounds of sugar.
0: <laughs> That's akin to twenty four dollars in beads. That's <laughs> well, sugar was a little more valuable
1: then, <laughs> but but all of East Boston was sold by Samuel Maverick, and I had the original letter and selling it. And you're holding this, and you're touching it, and you're feeling it, and and you, it went to a historian who I think eventually his whole collection will end up in a library. Mm. But I mean, it's you touch this type of thing. Another time I got called to do a semi-appraisal. And again, I can go on and on with these and we'll reach a point where we'll get to phase two another time. Mm-hmm. Uh, man had a whole bunch of letters that he was donating to a historical society. Um, he had been in Belmont and there was a house. And up in the house, there was they were cleaning it out. There was a an old chest. They cleaned that out. At the bottom of the chest was an envelope, uh, well, a manila. They opened up the middle of our envelope, and in the envelope was 10 letters of Thomas Jefferson, it was four or five of Adams, John Quincy Adams, uh, Monroe, yeah. Madison, and so on. And he was donating most of them to a historical society, but he said, I've got siblings. They're sending kids to college. We really can't afford to donate everything. And I got called in by the Historical Society and they basically said, look, these are the ones we really, really want him to donate to us. These are valuable, but we they aren't absolutely necessary. So we worked out a deal where he got, let's put it this way, kids went to college. But there was one letter in particular that I really loved. It was a, a letter of Thomas Jefferson. And He was talking, and this was just after 9-11, and he was talking about what to do about traitors and terrorists. He Mm -hmm. actually used the word terrorists. Now, this was during the War of 1812, and he was referring to a lot of the traitors and terrorists as American citizens who really didn't want the English to lose the revolution. Mm -hmm. They wanted it back in English Mm -hmm. hands. And he said they should forget the full protection of the law but nothing else. <laughs> and and but you whole and that was a sentiment that when I had it at the time. Matter of fact, one of the reasons I knew it was a great item, uh, I brought it home. Now, I would bring things home to my daughters who were in middle school and elementary school at the time. And I'd bring home Audubons. I'd bring home these terrific books and they'd go, ah, dad just brought home another old book. I brought this home, a, de- a letter of, Thomas Jefferson, and they got wow, wow, can we take this to school? Can we show it to people? Then I knew I had a real treasure.
0: That's amazing. It, and, of course, I'm wondering about the guy who had the drawer full of letters from so many different presidents. How does well, that happen?
1: Well, actually, there's a good story uh, behind that. Um, he, he was a lawyer, and the, all of the letters were written to a man named Dearborn, Dearborn, Michigan, Okay, uh, and he was uh, founder of the Massachusetts Historical Society. He was from Massachusetts, wow. and during the War of 1812, he was led ships in through the St. Lawrence and into the Great Lakes, got defeated terribly. And it was one of those cases where what do you do with a general who's a really not that great a general? <laughs> you make him a hero. You say this guy. Look at what he did. Well, these were all letters to Dearborn. I see. And at one point, his family were got into financial problems, and I think at the turn of the twentieth century. And part of the way they paid their legal fees was they gave the lawyer a lot of these letters as payment for legal work, and that's how the letters got from Jefferson to Dearborn to Dearborn's family to a lawyer to a, an attic in Belmont.
0: Incredible.
1: To, and to the really great ones, to a historical society in Boston.
0: So many of these stories involve, aha, discoveries. I didn't know I had this. Uh, you know, I mean, not all, but I mean, many of them are, look at this, the Declaration of Independence in the middle of a scroll. <laughs> and I thought it was just uh, ordinary stuff. It's but, amazing. Uh,
1: and then there are people who have a very good idea of what they yeah, have. Yeah. Uh, Here's here's one of the fish that got away stories. Okay. Uh, but it's one that I'm hoping will come back. And this person knew they had valuable things. Uh, th- he was a friend of J.D. Salinger. Now, J.D. Salinger was a reclusive, I mean he wrote Catcher in the Rye, well known for that, but reclusive. Mm. He didn't sign many things. His signature is very, very valuable. In um, matter of fact, even when you have a letter of J.D. Salinger, you can buy and sell that letter, but you cannot in any way publish what's in the letter. The content is still part of Salinger's estate, but the physical object you can buy and sell. In any case, this man came in and he had about 10 letters from J.D. Salinger. And I'm looking at this. This is great there. Wonderful, they're reading, they're talking a little bit about the books, they're talking about personal items, they're talking about this. But there was one letter that I particularly liked, and, uh, and I'm even wondering now whether I'm remembering this right, <laughs> because I've told the story so many times. But uh, in any case, I'm reading through this letter, and Salinger had been living in New Hampshire for a while, but he was relating back to when he first came to New Hampshire, and he was saying they were building his house, and he said when they were building the foundation for this house, a lot of the high school kids helped work on the foundation. And then he sort of casually says in the letter, one of these kids was a good athlete. It really turned out this kid, Carlton Fisk. Oh, so,
0: you know, so Red Sox legend,
1: Hall of Fame uh, baseball player, catcher. And I'm saying to myself. J.D. Salinger's – Carlton Fisk, helped build J.D. Salinger's house. I'm saying to myself, this letter should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Maybe someday I'll see it again. Maybe. It's, maybe. It's like – it's one of those that, boy, I'd love to get that one.
0: If I could describe the look on your face, <laughs> I, I will try. It, you're beaming just thinking about this. This really is – as exciting it is for me to hear this, and for our listeners to hear this, for you, you never get tired of this. Oh, I don't. I don't
1: get tired, and and I like baseball. Oh, yes, I, I mean, uh, I like it better when the Red Sox do better. Uh, most of these podcasts, and, and this is going off the deep end on a, on a ta- tangent. Yeah. Most of these podcasts. Uh, I try not to have them time-wise because if someone listens to it a few years of from course. now. So I'm going to say th- this one we're doing in September of 2019. The Red Sox are out of it. They're
0: not even making the playoffs. And
1: I'm going to make a terrible admission. I hope the Yankees win. I, I mean, as a Boston fan, it's it's. I'm having a hard time. <laughs> My son-in-law was – played baseball. He he made it to the Cape Cod League. Mm. He played for Princeton and so on. But one of his teammates is a pitcher for the Yankees. His name is David Hale. Mm-hmm. And I've met him and he's a really nice guy. And I hope he wins a ring and I hope he gets to pitch in the World Series. So he's had some back problems, but it it it's really hard. But- I hope I hope the Yankees win.
0: <laughs> well, we we will know in October at the end of the month, and this podcast will live forever. So you may be getting your wish and
1: You're, in, in in getting criticism from my Boston <laughs> friends. But uh, uh, other items that that have come in. Um, the one time I was uh, going through a house, and they knew they had rare and valuable books, um, and. There was a book on um, anatomy, but it was from the 1500s. It was by a man named Vesalius, who was one of the first real knowledgeable anatomists. And it's a big, huge, thick book. And you just get to touch this and hold it and turn the pages and see what an early an- anatomy was like. And, mm. and the binding was from the time and the period. It was worth about $70,000, but... Just to be able to say that I had one of these, it was a second edition. And in this case, the second edition was worth 70000 mm. Maybe someday I'll have a first, and it's worth in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Another time, I bought a collection of books, and this is the last one that I'll save for this collection. But they sent me a few pictures of shelves and said this man had collected thousands of books. He's in Medford, Oregon. That's where the books are. They're all stored in a storage area. They had been given to an institution. The institution had been through, said, look, we we can't store this anymore. We don't know what to do with them. They'd called two or three bookstores on the West Coast. They they didn't even want to go look at them. I looked at the pictures. I said, well, you know, this looks interesting. If you've got that many books, even if I just get a little for each book, it's probably going to – ended up being $50,000 plus about $6,000 to ship it, almost literally sight unseen. So we get the books into a warehouse in the Boston area and we're bringing them slowly into the store. And in one of the things, there's a two pamphlets. When I showed you earlier this letter of James Michael Curley, they weren't any bigger or thicker than this. Okay. Uh, they were the Wright brothers. And in the early 1900s, They wrote scientific papers on aeronautics before they ever flew a plane, ever uh, had their flight six, seven years earlier. But these were the first pamphlets that the Wright brothers had ever done. Uh, We ended up selling them for about $37,000, which made, made right up to where... Hey, we're going to at least break even on this deal. <laughs> uh we ended up doing well, but most of the doing well was on 5, 7, 10 dollar books. But again, getting one of these you, most people would look at it and say this is nothing. But you know, I saw Wright, I saw Aeronautics, oh, yeah. I saw 1903 It came out of it, and uh,
0: I was very pleased. It's living history that you hold in your hand, and you you get that feeling, don't you? As I just did, holding that letter written by and signed by FDR, you feel as though you're You feel
1: and get get the connection. It's wonderful. Um, And some that my father—one last story. My father used to tell when people would ask him, what's a great thing you found? He says, well, I bought a baby with a book, Um. and— what happened was he used to go to a lot of the Morgan Memorial, Saint Vincent de Paul, Salvation Armies, and they'd have big, huge bins of books. He was there one morning, pulled out a book. It was a diary of a man who went on the Gold Rush, and he left Boston, went down to Panama, crossed the Isthmus before the Canal, up to the gold fields. Um, Got a little bit of gold, but a shovel would cost this much money and a bag of flour. Basically came back to Boston, broke. But my father found this. My sister was being born and my parents had no insurance. And they they wanted – the hospital wanted payment. My father sold the book, went to the treasurer at the hotel or the payment office, paid the insurance, went up, got my mother, got my sister – and bought a baby with a book. <laughs>
0: That's a great story. <laughs>
1: and made way more money than the man who went on the gold rush. <laughs> I'm sure he
0: did. I'm sure he did. Well, I definitely want to hold you to the idea of doing uh, multiple versions of Finds of a Lifetime because this is so much fun.
1: It's so much fun. And this was a suggestion. Other people write in questions. Maybe we can do them. And Because I look at books one way. But I realize that a lot of people have totally different Mm. ways of looking at things. And when the ideas come in, I go, gee, I didn't think of that. And it's a lot of fun for
0: me. If folks out there want to have us raise a particular topic no matter what, you can find out how to get in touch by going to brattlebookshop.com. And, of course, the podcast is available on all platforms. We appreciate you downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. And, Ken, uh, keep on the the treasure hunt because it's so much fun to share these stories.
1: And I enjoy and love doing it, and I plan on doing it forever.
0: All right. Take care, folks. We'll see you next time on The Bridal Cast.